Welcome to The Way Church. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For sermon notes, service times, and more information, check us out online at thewaychurchva.com. Now let's join Pastor Matt Rothy with this week's message. sermon lesson this morning is going to be based on our lesson from the gospel, and it is out of respect and honor for the words and the work of Jesus that we remain standing for the reading of the gospel from Matthew chapter 20. Jesus said, for the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went on again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, Why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one hired us, they said. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Those who were hired last worked only an hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise be to you, O Christ. You may be seated. One of my favorite activities of all times is sitting around a campfire. I mean, so long as it's not raining or 90 degrees at nine at night, that is pretty much what I would like to be doing on any given evening, especially when it is crisp and it is cool. I love it. I love sitting around a fire and there's just something to it, right? Like there's something to seeing the flickering of the flames. There's something to it that just kind of makes all of the stressors and the day-to-day worries go away as you sit there. It's relaxing. It's awesome to hear the crackling of the fire. And sure, there's a small price to play. Your clothes kind of stink and maybe your hair does too, but you can take a shower. 
Did you know that actually the University of Alabama, they did a study. They did a study that found that people's levels of stress drop when they're sitting around and just hearing the sounds of a fire. It's pretty cool, right? I mean, there's something calming. There's something very peace-filled about sitting around a fire. But you know what's better than even that? It's sitting around a fire with family and friends. It's a chance to get to be there and connect in that special moment of peacefulness and relaxation with good people. It's good times. And one of the things that happens around a fire very often is stories. Stories get told. Stories get told, and in fact, stories are how we get to know one another. Stories are how we make sense of the world. People telling stories. I mean, think about it. Imagine you, me, our friends, our family, sitting around the fire together. You ask me how my day was. I tell you that it was good, and I share some kind of trivial anecdote that happened during the day. What happens next? You tell me a story about how that very thing happened to you back in the day when you were growing up. And before long, I ask you where you grew up, and you tell me a story about what it was like growing up there, and I share a story about me growing up and and my family, and, and we're talking about our families now, and we're telling stories. We're telling stories in a way that helps us get to know each other. And that's what's happening in this sermon series. Jesus is telling stories. He's telling parables, which are often neatly described as earthly stories, but have a heavenly meaning. He's telling us stories, and the point is this. He wants you to get to know him. Because people love stories. There's actually a whole set of theories based around the fact that that's how people make sense of this confusing world. It's, it's through stories. It's how people form their identity. It's through stories. People love stories. But very often, the stories that people tell, they're not true. People will tell themselves stories about, well, maybe experiences or events in the past that aren't steeped in reality. People will tell themselves stories about themselves that form their identities in ways that are unhealthy. And people also tell stories about God, stories about who he is, how he acts, what he does. And very often, they're not true. And so what Jesus does is comes to us with, yeah, stories he made up. But the master teacher tells these stories in a way to teach you something that is very true, that is eternally true about who he is, how he acts, how he behaves, how how his kingdom is. Our story, excuse me, our series called Tell Me a Story begins by looking at a parable, a story that Jesus tells, where he tells us that he, his characteristic, is one of offensive generosity. It begins in this way. Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. Here's some things to note. The landowner, he is the one who goes out and chooses or hires people to work in his vineyard. Here's another thing to note. It's early, 6 a.m., and they agree to it. 
a denarius is what we'll find out they agreed to. And just so you're aware, a denarius was very typical of a normal day wage for workers. Okay, we go on. 6 a.m., now it's 9 a.m. About 9 in the morning, the landowner went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go out my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. Here's the thing to note again. He's doing it. The landowner, he's doing his same thing again. He's going out and hiring people. And already what we see, he's not stingy. He's not hiring like the bare minimum of people to get the job done. He's going out at nine and noon and saying, you know what? All right, there's some people here that I could hire. I'm going to hire them. And he says, you know what? I'm gonna take care of you. Look at this. They don't even discuss with the agreements of their wage are. He says, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to pay you what is right. And they agree. They just go. And he does this again. He does this at noon, and he does this at three in the afternoon. Now, here's where it gets different. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Well, because no one's hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. It's 5 p.m. It's almost quitting time. There's like an hour before the sun goes down before the end of the day, and he goes back out and he hires people and listen to the kind of people he hires. Lazy people. Lazy people who have spent the last 11 hours doing nothing. They're not only lazy, they're liars. He says, why have you been standing here doing nothing all day? Oh, no one, no one will hire us. This guy has come out at six, at nine, at noon, at three in order to extend to them an opportunity to do something, to work. And yet what does he do to these people who are lazy, who are liars? You fools, you're not going to work for me? No, go. Go work. Go work. And they do. Before we go on, a question for you. Workers are all hired. We've got the 6, 9, noon, 3, and the 5 PMers. Which worker do you see yourself as? Verse 8. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about 5 in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. Remember who he's paying very intentionally first. Lazy people. Lying people. But he pays them for one hour of work an entire day's wage. Now let me ask you this. If you could earn the same salary you do right now, but only work one hour a day, would you? Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? <laughs> and you can see it. 
you can see those who are hired first. They expected to receive more. I, I don't know why. I've always envisioned that, that this payout time happens, that they're standing in a line. I mean, after all, he says to the foreman, you know, begin with the last. They'll be first. And so there's a line. I can, I've always envisioned it that way. And you can kind of see everybody standing in line as they get closer to the front. They're like getting giddy about this. They're like, oh, you see the denarius? What do you think you're going to get? Well, probably, probably two. What do you think you're going to get? Well, I'm, if you get two and they get one, I'm probably going to get four. It makes sense, right? So when those who were hired first came, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. You can feel it. You can feel the reaction building. They received it. They began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last only worked one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. You can feel their blood begin to boil and, and they lay it out. They lay it out very clearly. This is now a problem and it's them against us. You made them equal to us. And let me tell you about who we are. We are the people who work hard. We have borne the brunt of the labor. And let me tell you about this labor. Let me tell you about the conditions of this labor. It was under the heat of the day. It was hard work. And you did this. You paid them the same as us. I mean, this is a conflict, and it is, in some ways, kind of relatable. I mean, it's not fair. It's not. One hour, just one hour, in the shade. I mean, the work's already done. They're just helping them clean up at this point. One hour, and they get the paid the same as people who worked 12. This is offensive. This is offensive because it offends our innate sense of fairness, of what is right. Am I right? I mean, this is, this is innate. This is inborn. This is natural to us. And parents, you know this. You ever give your kids, uh, like maybe let's say a bag of M&Ms? Watch what happens when you give it to them. Say, divide it up, and they will, with accountant-like precision, make say, you get one, you get one, you get one. You get one, you, and they will do this, right? I mean, children know all about fairness. I pour my kids some chocolate milk, and what they start doing, they start looking inside to see how much their siblings got. Well, it's not fair, he got more. I tell my kids, we're, we're gonna go to the park tomorrow. Dad doesn't check the weather, that it's supposed to rain because there's a hurricane. And so we don't go to the park. And what do they say? That's not, it's not fair. And it doesn't, it doesn't just happen for kids. It sticks with us when we're older. Just this last week, a friend of mine, she showed me that the Department of Transportation from Texas gave her a bill. A bill that said she didn't pay a fine for a toll. But guess what? She has never been to Texas with her vehicle. So we're looking at this and we said, you're right, that, that is not right. It's not fair. You shouldn't have to pay that. 
You didn't deserve that. Somebody else a little more serious than the $4 toll penalty told me about their job. They told me that they work in sales and that in their line of work, the way it works is that you get a commission for sales, but you don't get it if the person who is your client doesn't pay. We said that. That's not fair. It, it really shouldn't work out that way. But the conclusion, that's life. That's what they said. That's life. And what do we know about life? Life's not fair. We say it. We say it all the time. But, but what happens when we take that really innate understanding of what fairness is and we apply it to our spiritual life? What happens then? What happens when we, we who have been here for a while start hearing people who have just been here maybe a, a minute, maybe a month, go, well, this is our church. This is my church. And we say, well, you weren't here back in the day when we met in a theater. No, let me, let me tell you. All right, a little more serious. We sing the song Amazing Grace. Because it's amazing, right? Amazing grace. How does it go? That saved a wretch like me? We go, yes, I love that. How sweet the sound. But what happens when someone starts showing off their wretchedness? And they, and they come in here and they air out their wretchedness. Amazing grace. It's really easy for, for Christian people, people who understand God's love, God's grace, to, to think that they, they deserve it. Even though grace is undeserved, we, we know that, but to think that I have somehow done something to get it. And if I don't get it, and I, and I don't get the benefits of it, well, it's not, it's not right. It's not fair. You think about the parent who, who did everything right. They raised their child up in the way that they should go. They taught them God's word. They brought them to church. And now they see them not living a life based in that grace. Doesn't seem fair. You think about someone who is single, who has prayed and prayed and prayed for God to bless their life with a faithful Christian spouse. And they see their other friends, their peers, their family members getting married, having children, Christian families. They think, oh, I want that. I am trying for that. How is this, is this fair? You think about a pastor, a church that is faithful, that is committed to the mission of Christ and, and nothing else. And yet you see other churches that have more people, have more opportunities and resources. It's really easy to think it's not fair. You have been faithful. You have served your Lord. You have given to your Lord you have been obedient to him. And yet, what do we think when we go through a time of suffering, a time of struggle, 
a time of trials. What did I do to deserve this? Deserve this. I expected it to go a lot differently, Lord. How is this fair? What happens when we take our innate sense of fairness and apply it to our spiritual lives? It's not healthy. It's not good. But you see what Jesus is doing in this parable, don't you? We set it up by saying, here he's going to teach us something about himself. But he also teaches us something about us and our hearts. That we are people who despise grace. He said, I do not. (laughs) Pastor, heavy accusation. I do not despise grace. How do I do that? Well, think about this parable. Think about who is who and what is what in this parable. The landowner is unmistakably God. The denarius, what God chooses to give, his grace, that's what it is. And we, we're the workers. Now, we'll get to which workers we are in a little bit, but that's who we are. And yet he gives his grace to all, a denarius to all. And how do we respond? How do we respond? When we see people getting the same as we do, well, think about what grace is. Here's a a definition that some of you have read that I think really, really is helpful in helping us really go deep and understand the nature of grace. You can read it. It says this, grace is recklessly generous, uncomfortably promiscuous. It doesn't use sticks, carrots, or time cards. It doesn't keep score. As Robert Kaplan puts it, it refuses to be controlled by our innate sense of fairness, reciprocity, and even-handedness. Grace defies logic. It has nothing to do with earning, merit, or deservedness. It is opposed to what is owed. It doesn't expect a return on investment. It is a liberating contradiction between what we deserve and what we get. Grace is unconditional acceptance given to an undeserving person by an unobligated giver. And yet, do you see how the workers are responding They expected to get something out of this. They expected to get something that they deserve. And what's more, they go on, they make this all about their merit, all about what's fair, what's right, their return on an investment. They make it about them and us. They were hired last. But you see how they're despising the grace of God. See how we despise the grace of God when we despise it in the life of another, what we're really doing is despising it in our own hearts, in our own life. Because the same grace that was given to you is given freely to all. They, they blame him. They blame him for being unfair. But do you see what's happening in this parable? Unfairness happens only when we take our eyes and our focus off of Christ. What we have from him, what we have in him, 
You see what happens, don't they? Go back to this verse again. They start focusing not on the master who is going to give everything to them, but on other people in line, on those around them. They start comparing themselves to others. And you know the saying, comparison is the thief of joy. And so we get this idea that unfairness, it actually only happens when we take our eyes off of Christ and what we have from him, what we give from him. Here's another way to think about it. What if God were to give you what's fair? What if he was fair? What if God gave you what you deserve? I'll tell you a story about uh, a pastor who went to go and visit a very faithful member in the hospital who was undergoing a surgery because of a very painful condition they had. He went there in order to give her a word of comfort, a word of encouragement, a gospel word. When he got there, she was mad. She was mad that her life of faithfulness had resulted in this. She was mad that she was going to have to undergo a very painful surgery. And she was telling her pastor all and all and on and on. She went about how she didn't deserve to go through the several months of very painful rehab that awaited on the other side of her surgery. And then there before her were the doors down the hall she was about to go. Before she did, her pastor pointed out, not with a word of gospel, but a word with law, he said, you know what you do deserve is that through those doors, you just go right on down to hell. That's what we deserve. And it was then that he was able to point her back to what we get from him and in him. It's not what we deserve. It is far greater than what we deserve. What we have in Christ, what we have from Christ is grace. Grace on top of grace. Grace that gives freely. Grace that has nothing to do with what we merited or lost. Merited not by us, but by Christ alone. This is what he gives to him. What if he was fair? Well, it's a good thing he's not. And so this is what the master does. He points us back to him and who he is. Listen. The master answered, the landowner answered one of the complainers. He said, I am not being Unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? That question, that question captures the idea of despising grace. Are you really jealous, envious because I'm generous? Are you offended by my grace? And it happens. It happens. Unfairness happens when we start looking not to the one who is the giver. You see that? You notice that, don't you? These first hour workers, what did they do? They agreed to work for a denarius. That actually is a generous day wage. You can be happy with that. They agreed to it. They went off joyfully and happily. What if they would have kept focusing on what they and the master had? Imagine that, if they just focused on that. But they didn't. Unhappiness happened, unfairness happened when they started to take their eyes off of Christ. And so here's what he does. He directs them back to him. 
And here's another beautiful summarization of what grace is. This one by the author Paul Zoll says this, grace is love that has nothing to do with you. Grace is love that has nothing to do with you. It has everything and only to do with the lover. Grace is irrational in the sense that it has nothing to do with weights and measures. It has nothing to do with intrinsic qualities or so-called gifts. It reflects a decision, not on your part, a decision on the part of the giver, the one who loves in relation to the receiver, the one who is love, that negates any qualifications the receiver may personally hold. Grace is one-way love. See, the problem with unfairness, the problem with that idea is it's solely focused on me or others in comparison to me. And yet grace has nothing to do with you has everything to do with God who gives it and gives it and gives it. That's where we get lost with this. That's where we get uncontent and things seem unfair, where we start to accuse God of being unfair. But God doesn't work in that way. That's what he's telling you with this story. Tell me a story. Who is God? How does he work? He's not fair. He is not fair at all. Okay, he is fair in the fact that he wants all people to be saved, that he died for all people, but he's not fair in the way that we think. He's better than that. He's gracious. He doesn't operate according to what's fair. He operates according to grace. You want to hear a story? Here's what's unfair that about six in the morning, a man went to trial who had done nothing wrong. At about 6 a.m., as the sun came up, he went to work. A man who had done nothing wrong, but like a lamb to a slaughter, he, he willingly, silently went. Before the leaders, before Pilate, he went there, knowing full well that this wasn't right or fair, but it achieved a different kind of justice, God's justice. There's a man who went to work at 9 a.m. when he hung on the cross for the sins of the whole world. And he did it till noon. When the sun went down, the son of God hung there for yet three more hours, taking on what we deserve what would have been fair for us to have. Punishment, death, forsakenness from God. And then there at at 3 p.m., he went to work. He died. This is the story of a man who did that all willingly. And then what happened? At 5 p.m., he rose from the grave and said, guess what? You get a denarius, you get a denarius, you get one, you get one, you get one. I have life to the full, and I'm giving it to all of you. Even you Johnny-come-latelys, I'm giving it to every single one of you. Oh yeah, even that thief on the cross that I hung there with, it has nothing to do with how much or how little you worked. I'm giving it to you. Now that's a story. That is a story that helps us know about who God is and what he did for us. I asked you earlier, which kind of workers do you see yourself as? Maybe, maybe it's okay to every once in a while see yourself as a 6, 9, noon, or 3 p.m.er. 
you know, you've been a Christian for a while. Maybe you need to think of yourself that way, especially when you're complaining. And there's a message that says, stop it, don't complain. (laughs) But you want to know who we are? We're all 11th hour workers. We're all 5 p.m.ers who've barely done anything, at least in comparison, if you will, to the one who went to work for us. Chris Jesus, who did it all, who went to work, who earned everything so that you could have everything that is his. Think about how that affects the way you live. You don't get the recognition that you deserve, the thanks that you deserve. We can say in one sense, that's not fair. But you have a God who recognizes you before your father in heaven and says, those are my friends. We try to share our faith with people that we love and we, we receive rejection. We go, God, that, that's not fair. But God says, I accept you unconditionally and love you no matter what. You deal with chronic pain, suffering, illness, injury. That's not fair. But you have a God who says, you know what, you don't, deserve this, but I'm going to heal your greatest illness, and that is called your sinful heart. I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to take that heart of stone, and I'm going to give you my heart. You don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. That's grace. Grace on top of grace, that is what our God gives to us. As we wrap up here, here's what I want to do is, is think about three ways that understanding this story about Jesus does affect us. Here's the first one. It makes us the least judgmental people. Think about that. Oftentimes, we view people through a lens of judgment. What if we viewed all people through a lens of grace? Imagine an alternative ending to this story. Imagine that everybody's waiting in line and instead of like going, oh, what do you think I'm gonna get? Oh, I'm gonna get more than they got. What if there was a celebration happening? We weren't judging what each person got, but instead we're saying, all right, I agreed to work for Daenerys and you got one too. High fives, way to go. And there's just this joyful celebration going on as everybody moves through the line and exists in this state of grace that God gives. Imagine that. Imagine if you, Christian, were known as some of the least judgmental people that this world could ever know because you... You view people. Yes, we view people. And, and we talked about how unfairness happens when we focus, focus away from Christ. But the reality is you're going to see people. But what if you saw them through this lens? Makes us the least judgmental people and also the least offendable people. We're, we're calling this, this week's series a story of offensive generosity because that's the nature of grace. It just gives and gives and gives and, and it offends us offends our innate sense of fairness. But what if instead of it being offendable, it was was just breathtaking. It was just amazing. Think about how that would relate to the way that we interacted with others. When, When people actually did things that were wrong, unfair, we didn't deserve it. Thinking in terms of grace doesn't offend us. Instead of, you know, getting even, we give healing. 
Instead of giving revenge, we just give what we've gotten. Here's a denarius. Here's some grace. Makes us the least offendable people. And here's the last one, kind of funny to think about. It makes us the least boring people. Unfairness happens when, when we start focusing on really ourselves. When we're focusing on ourselves or ourselves in comparison to other people. But when we understand that God is not about fairness, he is about giving the same love and grace to everybody, what it does is, is it turns your life from inward to outward. You stop being boring and always focusing on, on yourself, but focusing on him and celebrating there at the foot of the cross, at the empty tomb, what all of us have, and celebrating it in other people's lives. I mean, we wrote a a revised ending to this, a way where everyone's like celebrating what everybody received. Imagine a life where you are constantly in a state of shock that this is the way that God gives. I mean, ask yourself, when is the last time you've been joyfully surprised? Maybe your, maybe your husband or your wife or your kids brought, brought you a nice surprise gift. Maybe, maybe your team pulled off a last second effort and they, and they won. And you, and you feel the elation for that. What if we woke up every day with that elation from grace. Just shocked that I don't deserve this, but I got it. It would make us the least boring people possible, but like I said, all of these really make us the least selfish people possible. And that's only possible because of what Jesus said at the end. This last verse, he says it elsewhere in Matthew, but here he says, the last will be first, and the first will will be last. How do you live in that kind of way? Well, it comes from, well, the opposite of unfairness, grace. Focusing there on the cross and everything that we have in Christ and from Christ, who was first, but became last so that we might be first, first fruits of the resurrection. First, first in God's eyes, and that we can live as last so that others might know this offensive, offensive generosity. Praise God. Amen.